And welcome to another episode of Unearthing Paranormalcy, the podcast that digs into the paranormal and finds normalcy in the topic. I'm Amy. I'm Dave. I'm Jen. And I'm Cyclops. We have Eli back. He's back. Yay, Who's Eli. Eli? I mean, Cyclops. Yay. Yay. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Chad's all sad. He's He's not the only phony man in the room anymore. He's definitely the funniest looking in the room. <laughs> and the award goes to Chad <laughs> for the craziest joke I've ever heard. <laughs> and this week we are going to be kind of continuing our last two episodes. But we're going to get into meditation and kind of a little history. We kind of covered the history of meditation a little bit with our Indian episodes. But kind of get into some, some ways to meditate, types of meditation, where you can learn about meditation. Is Chad going to lead us on a guided no, meditation? I didn't get that far. Oh. Drop I, I the ball thought on about us. I, in my reading, it said that someone should not do a guided meditation unless they are formally trained. So we're going to help everybody de stress, learn how to de stress, how to speak to your inner self, how to visit with your spirit guides, all kinds of things with these meditations that we're going to talk about. Uh, Dave, you want to go ahead and start it up for us? Meditation has been practiced in cultures all over the world for millennia. While most religion and spiritual practices have a tradition of using meditative practice, people can practice it independently of a religious or spiritual practice as a therapeutic technique. There are two types of meditation, concentrative meditation and mindfulness meditation. Meditation can be defined as a technique intended to encourage a heightened state of awareness and focused attention. In concentrative meditation, the focus is on a specific object while tuning out everything else. The goal is to experience what your focus is on, whether it is your breath, a specific word or mantra, a picture, a sentence, a symbol, or a recording. In mindfulness meditation, the focus is on the present moment and making yourself open aware, and accepting of yourself and what's around you. Research has shown that meditation can have psychological and physiological effects. The positive effects include a lowered state of physical arousal, reduced breathing rate, decreased heart rate, a change in brain wave patterns, and lowered stress. Some other emotional or physical health-related benefits are Increased self-awareness, better stress management, positive effects on the well-being, improved emotional well-being, better management of anxiety, depression, sleep disorders, pain issues, and high blood pressure. It can bestow improvement of memory and fluid intelligence and cause a change in aspect to attention. Experts do not fully understand exactly how meditation works, but research has demonstrated that meditation can have positive effects on the well-being. Let's dig in and learn how the ancient practice of meditation benefits many practitioners in our modern world. So here at this table, has you used meditation before? I, I did for the first time today. Eli, me, Dave. So all of us, we've all used meditation. It's a big part of my practice. It's a big part of my uh, mental health maintenance. I was actually, <coughs> I was actually talking to Chad uh, today because he said that he did a... Uh, uh, what was it? Meditation. He he, he did a meditation set uh, 
Meditated? He meditated. That's the word I was looking <laughs> for the entire time. <laughs> Sorry. I was talking to Chad today, and uh, he meditated, and, you know, uh, he said that he, he felt better. Um, uh, so it's it's probably something that I'll be picking up here soon, again, because sometimes uh, science isn't everything. So, yeah. Well, there's science behind meditation now, too. People have actually started looking at it, and it I, I mean, is beneficial. So. I mean, more so pill form. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I used it as pain management uh, when I was younger, and it is definitely a powerful... There is definitely something to the, you know, the mind over matter statement. You know, you can really affect things in your body for sure with meditation. Yeah. So, and I've actually used it for blood pressure issues before too i mean i've used it multiple times for multiple things but now i i, I used it mainly and it, it's kind of weird because i didn't really have really high high anxiety anxiety attacks meaning like to where like it was like hyperventilating to a certain point where you couldn't control yourself but i literally would uh and it, it's it's kind of you guys can make jokes about it it's, it's kind of funny but when i was uh 13 and 14 when i started actually using meditation uh, or was taught how to I would literally, like, whenever I'd feel an anxiety attack coming, I would run to my closet and shut the door and just breathe. Yeah. And close my eyes and just breathe. Breathe, 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 breathe. And, it, I mean, it was a weird way to do it, but, it, I mean, it, it helped. When I learned that they were, I was having panic attacks and I wasn't dying, because that's what I thought I was happening and I thought I was dying every time it yeah. happened. Uh, when I learned that they were actually just panic attacks... Uh, got to the point to where I could feel them coming on. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what I would do. I wouldn't run into a closet, but wherever I was at, I would just close my eyes and just focus on just my breath until I could feel it kind of calm down a little bit. Then I got a medication and I don't have the problem anymore. But yeah. from time to time, I'll stop taking the medication. And then about the time I start feeling them coming back, then I start taking my medicine again. It's, I mean, I've talked to my doctor about it and he said, yeah, you don't have to be on it all the time. Just when you're having high stress life. Well, guess what life has been for the past three months? <laughs> you know, you mean the whole 2020? Yeah, yeah, exactly. The entire 2020. This is we're actually moving into the sixth month. God, <laughs> sixth year. What is it? <laughs> Welcome to the seventh decade of 2020. <laughs> so I have been on it pretty constantly since this stuff all started, but. You definitely have used meditation as an alternative way to combat anxiety issues. Absolutely. Now, from the two types of meditation, concentrative and mindfulness, it branches out into several subtypes. Meta-meditation, which is also known as loving-kindness meditation, cultivates an attitude of love and kindness towards everything, even a person's enemies and sources of stress. Practitioners open their minds to receiving loving-kindness. They then send messages of loving-kindness to the world, situations, and to specific people. Its intention is to promote feelings of compassion and love and decrease anger, frustration, resentment, and conflict. This type of meditation may increase positive emotions and might reduce depression and anxiety. Now question about this would prayer be considered a form of i would m- think it meta meditation i would think that i mean in that kind of what you're doing is you're sending out the 
the prayers for love and kindness to others in the world and, yeah. you know, asking for it in return. And I, I mean, I think I've, in a way I've always considered uh, prayer to be a, uh, a, a med- meditative Medi- thing. Yeah. yeah. I kind of had two and um, anytime I've gotten any kind of spiritual debate with people, cause you know, everybody has to chime in sometimes Absolutely. when you, you know, say something about meditation or, about spirituality, everybody, somebody has to chime in with, you know, that's evil, that's wrong. And I've often used prayer is nothing more than meditation. Prayer is nothing more than a ritual. Prayer, you know, like same. it all goes together. Yeah. So it's all the same thing. <laughs> Progressive relaxation, which is also known as body scan meditation, encourages people to scan their bodies for areas of tension. The goal is to notice the tension in order to release it. Practitioners typically start at one end of the body, such as the feet, and work their way up. Some forms require people to tense and then relax muscles. Others encourage a person to visualize a wave drifting over their body to release the tension. This type of meditation may increase calmness and relaxation. And for advanced practitioners, this is mainly a relaxation technique to prepare the body for other meditative practices. Say interesting enough, I uh, have had hypnosis done, and that's one of the things they talked they talked me through in the hypnosis was tensing up parts of your body to relax your body for the hypnosis. Yeah, interesting. Um, the self guided meditation I did earlier today it was kind of an intro to medic med- medication <laughs> intro to meditation, and it was one of those it, to get yourself ready to be able to do med- meditation. It was talking about how feel your body rise and fall with your breath. And, you know, then pretty much scan from your head down and feel for any tense areas or just let your, yourself feel everything around you. If you're, if you're sitting in a chair, you know, feel the, your back on the chair and your feet on the ground and balance yourself and stuff like that. It was kind of cool. Breath awareness meditation encourages mindful breathing. Practitioners breathe slow and deep focusing on the breath while ignoring everything else. This type of meditation may reduce anxiety and improve concentration. This is definitely what I use for my anxiety attacks. Me too. It's the breath awareness. And it's to me, it's the fastest way to get into a state of meditation. And like to break away from the anxiety. It's just, it's quicker. Um, I mean, I've done other types of meditation and I do other types of meditation, but... Breath awareness is usually what I use to get into the meditative state, no matter how I do it or what kind of meditation I'm doing. Um, Because to me, it's just easier to focus on my breath than it is to focus on an object or focus on anything else. It's to be aware of my breath. and So it like helps center you? Yeah. I think it's because it's also something I can control. Whereas if it's outside my body, I can't control it. So makes it easier because a lot of my anxiety is control issues <laughs> so <laughs> i mean you guys would not would not think that i have control issues at all right no no of course not, not. <laughs> she told us to say that <laughs> help us <laughs> <Eat the photo. laughs> yes i chain them all to the chairs and hold whips to them i make dave research i make Eli be funny, and I make Chad share my brain. 
Help me. <laughs> Hello. Um, so let's start talking about the the yoga. Um Pranayama is not exactly a meditation. It is more of a technique to calm the mind to prepare it for meditation. There are several different types of prana- pranayama. The most common one is a 4444 technique. The practitioner breathes in for four seconds, holds for four seconds, breathes out for four seconds, and holds empty for four seconds. The breathing is done through the nose, and the abdomen, not the chest, is the one that moves. Kundalini yoga is an active form of meditation that blends movements with deep breathing and mantras. This is typically learned from a teacher. The name derives from Hindu lore and is defined as energy that lies dormant at the base of the spine until it is activated and channeled up through the chakras to achieve spiritual perfection. Sathguru, an Indian yogi, author, and founder of the Isha Foundation, says, This is the most dangerous type of yoga and should not be performed without a proper guru or teacher. Hey, yo, boo-boo. Where's the pig in the basket? Got so, that so that one's one that uh, find yourself a yogi before you. Togi. Yeah. Find I mean, a yogi for you, togi. There's several YouTube videos out there and books about it, but I mean, an actual Indian yogi is telling you find a teacher. Yeah. Trataka yoga or gazing meditation is fixing the gaze on an external object, typically a symbol, image, or candle at three to four feet away. It is done with the eyes open, concentrating on the object, and then with the eyes closed, visualizing the same object. The goal is to improve the concentration and visualization powers of the mind. It increases the power of memory. It also brings energy to the third eye and promotes various psychic abilities. Most uh, magical practices uh, use this in one form or another for the training. I've definitely... Read about doing that for divination uh, and uh, also using that when you're working on your spiritual communication techniques. Yeah, yeah, I definitely. Absolutely. I've read about that in those two. I've, I've attempted it. Like I said, I have a hard time with objects for some reason. It's hard for me to focus on an object. Usually if I'm fo- looking at an object, my brain just wants to wander. I don't know why. It's harder for me, but it is. It's natural. Yeah. Kriya yoga is a set of energizing, breathing, and meditative exercises. More suited for those with a devotional temperament that are seeking the spiritual aspects of meditation. Traditionally, it is exclusively learned from a guru. The yogi Paramahansa Yogananda, who introduced it to the West in 1920, described it. The Kriya Yogi mentally directs his life energy to revolve upward and downwards around the six spinal centers, which corresponds to the 12 astral signs of the zodiac, the symbolic cosmic man, one half minute of revolution of energy around the sensitive spinal cord, a man affects subtle progress in his evolution. The half minute of Kriya equals one year of natural spiritual unfoldment. So it's another one that you want a yogi, but not as much as the other? Or just both of them, just get a yogi? If you're going to do yoga, get a yogi. 
Go, so go to the yogi store, find a yogi. And I mean, if you're going to do true yoga, yeah. find a teacher. Yeah. Yeah, the yoga that we do in our yoga studios is is not the true yoga yoga. Because so. true yoga is about uniting the body and the spirit and the mind all as one. I mean, yoga means union. Yeah. So that's well, yeah, that's the goal of it. Yeah. Net, neta yoga or sound meditation requires focusing on sound. Starting with external sounds such as calm, ambient music, the practitioner narrows the focus to the sense of hearing in order to quiet and collect the mind. The practice then evolves over time to the internal sound or vibration of the body and mind. The ultimate goal is to hear the paraneda, or ultimate sound, which is a sound without vibration, which manifests as um. Um. Um, um. In other words, this inner sound or silent vibration of the self will open a practitioner's chakras and unite the body to the cosmos or the divine. The theoretical and practical aspects are based on the premise that the cosmo and all that exist in the cosmo consist of vibrations called nada. The energy of vibrations, rather than of matter and particles, form the building blocks of the cosmos. These vibrations and resonances can help various psychological and spiritual conditions. This practice is also used to raise the level of awareness of the chakras, or energy centers, of the body. Now, if you're interested in this on a scientific aspect, I, I would suggest looking at the Higgs boson. The what? The Higgs boson. Tantra meditation is a contemplative practice. The text Vinyan Nab Her Ava Tantra, for instance, lists 108 meditations. These are advanced and require a certain degree of stillness and mind control. Here are some examples from the text. Merge the mind and the senses in the interior space in the spiritual heart. When one object is perceived, all other objects become empty. Concentrate on that emptiness. Concentrate on the space which occurs between two thoughts. Fix attention on the inside of the skull. Close eyes. Meditate on the occasion of any great delight. Meditate on the feeling of pain. Dwell on the reality which exists between pain and pleasure. <sniffs> Meditate on the void in one's body extending in all directions simultaneously. Concentrate on a bottomless well or is standing in a very high place. Listen to the anahata sound. Listen to the sound of a musical instrument as it dies away. Contemplate on the universe or one's own body as being filled with bliss. Concentrate intensely on the idea that the universe is completely void. Contemplate that the same consciousness exists in all bodies. And that's just the name of few. It's, it's very complex stuff that 
you would do once you know you have a certain degree of stillness and mind control. Self-inquiry meditation originates from the Sanskrit Atman Vikara to investigate the self. The goal is about oneness of the body and mind. Practitioners explore their thoughts and feelings that come natural by asking, who is thinking that thought? Who is feeling that feeling? Or simply, how am I? Then through the process, it's discovered, who am I? The idea is that it focuses the direction inward. To acquire knowledge of the self by exploring the conscious, the unconscious, the subconscious, and the superconscious. This focus on the self may help achieve pure existence and awareness of self in space and time. It can also redirect the mind and regulate the consciousness. What I mean by that is it can allow the practitioner to get to the bottom of why they do the things they do subconsciously. In turn, it gives the power to let our conscious mind decide our behavior. Most of our reactions come from the memory recalling to similar situations we have previously been in. Additionally, the unknown and unresolved incidents of past events store themselves in the subconscious. Once the practitioner makes the connection as to why the subconscious reacts in a particular way, the behavior is revealed to the conscious mind. In light of this knowledge, these quote-unquote shadows immediately disappear and we can consciously choose which behavior to respond with instead of just reacting. Most spiritual paths incorporate this as a step for shadow work. In psychology, it is part of cognitive behavior therapy. I was just about to say that sounds just like a therapy session. Mm-hmm. And we also talked about it on the part two of Indian mythology about how you can change your reality with, you know, the meditation and finding out who you are, why, why you think the way you do, why you feel the way you do, why you do what you do to change your reality. But, uh, yeah, most quote, quote unquote occult practice is, about psychology without having to pay somebody for it. Yeah. You just do it yourself. But yeah, it's very similar to some therapy that I've had before. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting. Oh, yeah, me too. I've had a lot of cognitive behavior therapy and a lot of, um, oh, what's it called? EM, EMDR? Yeah. Where it takes away all your emotion. Yeah, and it makes you focus on what, what the cause is for your post-traumatic stress and your, mm-hmm. yeah. Very fascinating stuff. It is. Psychology is really interesting. I mean, that's why I went into psychology as a major. is because it just fascinated me. So, and, and it still does. I just never got my degree. I need to get around to reading that book, Young the Mystic. Yeah. About Carl Jung. The, um, he was a psychologist yep. and um, very, very much into the occult. Yeah. See, and what's interesting, I don't teach that side of it. Well, at least at the parts of psychology that I studied, you didn't get into that side of Jung. It was more of his theories and all of that. You never ventured into that part of his life. And I think had that had happened, my personalities theories class would have kept my attention and I would have passed it in the first try and not the second. <laughs> oh, yeah. They hate, they hate talking about the occult in academia. But, they, lo- but they, they hate talking about the occult. But what's interesting is they love talking about the conspiracy of like, like Freud. Like that was one of the things yeah. like... They love to like talk about how Freud was a cokehead and how he had to withdraw his papers because of, you know, 
not having adequate information because everybody was on cocaine. Like that, they're fine talking about that. <laughs> Drugs they, are okay. Yeah. Occult is not. Yeah. Zen meditation, sometimes referred to as zazen, involves specific steps and postures. This is typically learned from a teacher. Uh, the goal is to find a comfortable position, focus on breathing, and mindfully observe your thoughts without judgment. Individuals who practice Zen meditation uh, attempt to expand their attentional scope to incorporate the flow of perceptions, thoughts, emotions, and subjective awareness. That reminds me of like the the movies and stuff where you see the guy sitting, you know, cross-legged and under the tree and. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I believe this was the, don't quote me on it, but I think this was the type of meditation the Buddha did. When we dig into Buddhism, we'll find out for sure. Because that'll be definitely a topic we cover eventually, too. Oh, absolutely. Transcendental meditation is a spiritual form of meditation. The goal is to transcend the current state of being. While seated and breathing slowly, practitioner focus on a mantra or repeated series of words. A teacher determines the mantra based on a complex set of factors. Alternatively, people can choose their own mantra, which makes it technically not transcendental meditation anymore, but very similar. But this type of meditation can cause spiritual experiences and heighten mindfulness. This was the type of meditation that the uh, Beatles did, if you've ever heard of that. The, they, they were a popular rock band out of England. <laughs> I know who the Beatles are. Oh, okay. Sorry. I did not realize that they did transcendental meditation. Yeah, they they took a trip over to India and I believe Tibet and did a bunch of transcendental meditation and things. Interesting. I wish I had more knowledge of it other than just off the top of my head, but I don't. <laughs> Dave seems to be in a state of meditation right now. <laughs> there was a movie we watched where you remember the kid from Jeepers Creepers, and then he was like uh, Justin Long. Uh, yeah, do, walk hard, Dewey Cox story. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's a they scene go in do there. LSD and yeah, yeah there's okay. a scene in there where they're when they're doing the transcendental meditation with that guru. I mean, it's a satire version of it, but. I'm glad you knew that because I was like, I uh, forgot I that Justin Long was even in that movie. I wasn't so. going to say, I wasn't going to bring that up, but he said that. I was like, no, I'm not going to bring it up. But then he brought it up. Like, okay. <laughs> it's like the <laughs> only scene in that movie I actually like. I know that movie very well because we've watched it a million times, but. You couldn't think of the name of it? I, I couldn't even remember that Justin Long was in it. Like, no. He plays one of the Beatles. Vipassana meditation uses concentrate. Vipassana meditation uses concentration to intensely examine certain aspects of your existence with the intention of transformation. Vipassana pushes practitioners to explore the insight into the true nature of reality by contemplation of human existence such as suffering, dissatisfaction, non-self, and emptiness. Qigong meditation is an ancient practice which involves harnessing energy in the body by allowing energy pathways to be open and fluid. The energy is sent inward and it's thought to help heal the body, while sending the energy outward can heal other people. 
do you remember back when we did our alternate uh, alternate healing episode? alternate healing episode? Yeah, Qigong was one of the ones we covered, and that was the one where the, we watched the video of the guy just like smacking the shit out of the other guy's knee. He's just whacking him. Uh, yeah, he just like, was whacking him <laughs> and whacking him, and then he was healed. Yeah. Well, I guess quote unquote healed. Um, but yeah, I wonder if the guy was actually I don't uh, that's the meditative state. You send the energy out and smacks. You get your nose, Chen. He knows my face. (laughs) I will more than happily slap you. Oh, okay. All right. Get a feeling at the table then. (laughs) Do we need to do some cognitive behavior therapy at the (laughs) table? Possible. No, I just want to slap somebody. (laughs) Taoist emptiness meditation emphasizes letting go of thoughts, feelings, and sensations as they arise. While the practitioner meditates, any thought, emotion, or sensation that arises is not followed. It is just let go. The focus is on the quietness of the environment and the mind. Let it go. Let it go. Do you want to build a snowman? Okay, bye. (laughs) Mindfulness meditation urges practitioners to remain aware and present in the moment. It encourages awareness of the person's existing surroundings with a lack of judgment. For example, if you're waiting in line at the clinic, you're not dwelling on the past and you just note the wait rather than the annoyance of waiting, while simultaneously not dreading the microchip you're about to be injected with. You just calmly notice your surroundings, taken in the sights, sounds, and smells. It can literally be done anywhere. Because mindfulness is a common theme to many forms of meditation, it has been extensively studied, and research has found mindfulness can reduce fixation on negative emotions, improve focus, improve memory, and lessen impulsive emotional reactions. It is interesting that you ended on mindfulness, because uh, mindfulness meditation is probably the most common form of meditation that I use. Um, In fact, I, I downloaded and pay for the app Calm. Um, that has a bunch of guided mindful mindfulness meditations on it. And I use them at work a lot when I'm stressed out. I use them at home when I'm stressed out. But um, it's probably the most common form of meditation that I use on the daily, weekly sense. Um, and it's a lot more of that focusing on your breathing, you know, and just focusing inward and on your breathing and just calming yourself and being being present in the moment and it's there's some pretty good ones out there um i do recommend the calm app we're not sponsored that'd be awesome though uh let's get sponsored we should but no it's it's actually great i I love the app not only for the meditations but also they have sleep uh sleep stories and i use that with our son who doesn't like to go to sleep i use them with him all the time and he actually loves to sit and listen to the stories. Um, my his favorite one and my favorite one is the Three Little Pigs that's read by Nick Offerman. So I love Nick Offerman. Everybody loves Nick Offerman. He's married to Anoki. Really? Yeah. Which one? Megan Mul- Mul- Megan Malawi. Really? Is that how do you say her last name? Something like that. Something like that. Karen from Will and Grace. Oh, I know who it is. <laughs> I love Karen. Everybody loves Karen. 
It isn't like I didn't know who the Beatles were. Jesus. I know. I've got the album. I want the album is back there in my bedroom. I've got the album. <laughs> so you know the Beatles, huh? I've got Help the greatest yourself. hits album. Helter Skelter, huh? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. We all live in a yellow submarine. Yellow submarine. Yellow submarine. I, in fact, have the Beatles rock band. Lucy in the sky with diamonds. Help. I need somebody. Help. Help. <laughs> Not just anybody. Help. You get a wolf. Uh, so what other kind of meditation do you do? I do the meditation of Amy. Much as I practice the religion of Amy. I don't... Pro- <laughs> Everybody's like, uh. I don't so much use any specific type. I, I was sitting there as you were reading those thinking, well, I use part of that. I use part of that. Mm-hmm. Um... I would say that I'm probably more experimental with my meditations because I try to find what works the best for me. Like I said, mindfulness is probably the most common form of meditation that I use. I have used, I don't even know, I, I, there's no name for I don't. None of those were the names for it, but transcendental is probably pretty close. Um, I don't use LSD to get to it, but... Um, well, you're doing it wrong, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I mean... Probably the second most common way that I meditate. I always start with like envisioning a white light because a lot of my meditation is used in working on like my spiritual communications. Okay, yeah. So anytime I want to do any kind of spirit work, I usually try to protect myself with white light and white energy and positive (laughs) energy and all of that just because you never know who's going to show up for sure. Um, but once I've done that and I focus on my breathing and I just kind of get into that state, I start to visualize, um, what I call my, like my visiting space. It's kind of my area that I go to and I invite others to come, other souls and spirits to come speak to me and hang out there. It's also a place that I'll go sometimes when I just need to relax in my mind. Um, my, my specific place is actually, it, it came into me in a dream one time and it was a dream with my dad and I just, it, there was this pond and it was like over, like overgrown around it, you know, as most ponds are, you know, with cattail and bushes and shrubberies all over the place. And I was sitting there skipping rocks and he was sitting there fishing and he just, you know, he looked over at me and he said, shh, you're scaring the fish away. And then we just sat there and just sat together. And that was pretty much every fishing trip with Dad. Chad, do you agree? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It usually entailed us getting on, getting, you know, reprimanded for running around, screaming, throwing throwing rocks and things into the lake. And then Dad saying, you're scaring the fish. And then just kind of sitting there, just like a peaceful silence. Because at some point you get tired of fishing, but he'll do it all day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Have you ever thought about that when you throw a rock into like a lake, you might be the last person to ever touch that rock till the end of time? I never have thought about it. Oh, going shit. deep. Especially if you throw one in the ocean. But anyway, that's where I got this visualization spot because that dream to me was actually a really peaceful dream and it was a it was one of those dreams with my dad that kind of met me helped me feel at peace with his death. So yeah. I've just kind of chose that as my spot. And so I go to that spot and it's used like there's this pond here and there's a bunch of rolling hills around it. And at the top of the one of the hills is a little farmhouse and 
Like, I mean, it's a, a, a full visualization of a place that I like to go and hang out and chat with spirits and Fascinating. whatnot. But uh, I'll just go there and sometimes it's just me sitting there skipping rocks on the pond. Sometimes other people join. You know, it's just kind of the place that I go. But it's a great place for me to go and just when I've got a problem. Because sometimes it's even myself that I'm talking to. Like another version of me that shows up, especially if I've got like an internal conflict going on. And uh, I'll say most of my conflicts are internal because I don't like to externally communicate my my conflicts. Yeah, I'm the same way. <laughs> so do you lose your conversation? Do you lose your arguments with yourself? Sometimes. Yeah, I, I, I lose most of mine. Yeah. So a lot of my conflicts become internal conflicts because I don't voice them out yeah. and it'll be like an internal conflict that I'm having with myself. And so what it is is I'll sit there and I'll talk to myself and figure out why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling or what caused somebody else to react to something I said or did that I didn't have any ill intent towards or anything like that, but they took it that way. Like it's just a way for me to sit there and figure out problems in a meditative state and just solve internal issues that I have. Kind of my own counseling session, if you will. Yeah. Um, sometimes I've also been in libraries. Sometimes, especially if I'm dealing with, with a lot of stress. What's a library? There are these places that we used to go to that have lots and lots of books. What's a book? Um, Back before everything was on a Kindle, there used to be... Uh, thing called a printing press. A Kindle is what you throw underneath wood to start a fire, right? How do you know what a Kindle is but not a book? And it's kindling. <laughs> but <laughs> I used to be a boy scout. <laughs> but anyway, and it, what I'll do is if I'm just super stressed, like stress is just bubbling up, I'll sit there and I'll write problems in books and then put them back on the shelf uh-huh. as like uh-huh. a way of mentally organizing. That is defacing library property. <laughs> Like, mentally organizing my conflicts so that I can then later go back and revisit them, but I don't have them all piled up on me at once. Librarian from there. She just loses them. And fine, you $600. Sometimes I hope somebody else checks them out so I don't have to do it. Uh, That's really fascinating. That's where I'm getting all that shit. God damn it. Stay out of my library then. Quit using my half of the brain. (laughs) Yeah, all the shit I really don't want to know when they go over to Chad's half. I mean, like I said, there's not like really one type of meditation that I use. I use kind of a little bit of all of it. Um, but getting into my meditative states, it usually starts with breathing and then it goes into visualization. And like I said, usually it starts out with a white light, especially if it starts with a white light, if I'm going to try to do any kind of spirit communication. Now, one thing we were talking about earlier before we started recording, if you're going to meditate, I recommend sitting up unless you just know you won't fall asleep because there have been times that I've gone to do meditation and have just fallen asleep. If you, yeah. And you fall asleep while meditating. You have the most restless sleep because you kind of, instead of actually sleeping, you're Your really mind. just meditating, yeah. thinking through everything. So, you can hear everything around you. Your mind is constantly working. So you wake up and you're more exhausted <laughs> than you were when you went to bed. And that happens to me all the time because I have issues sleeping. So not that I'm meditating before bed, but I'll do like the breathing exercises, which I guess is a way of meditating yeah. to fall asleep. 
and I'll fall asleep in that subconscious or yeah, that subconscious meditation state to where I wake up and I'm like, I feel like I didn't sleep at all. (laughs) I feel more tired now than I did when I started doing that. Yeah. And I'll just feel exhausted all day long. Almost feel like I'm hungover. It's probably the best way to describe it. Without the headache. Yeah. Well, I'll even have the headache from time to time. But it's just kind of that I didn't sleep. I am working on... You're just mentally exhausted. Your body might be refreshed, but your mind isn't. Yeah, because your mind's been running the whole night. But at the same time, meditating before bed (laughs) can help you sleep better. But I just recommend not doing it in bed in bed or set an alarm to help pull you out of the meditation state before in case you fall asleep it can wake you up so you can actually shut down the meditation and go to sleep and for shutting down meditation for me most of the time is just waking like pulling myself out of it um like i said i've done hypnosis to me hypnosis is more of a guided meditation yeah yeah you know um I would actually like to talk to a hypnotist. We got we've got hypnos- hypnotists in our family. I'm going to talk to them about yeah, that. Yeah, I've always want. I mean, I want to do the hypnotic reg- uh, regression. Well, stuff, just so. talk to them and find out if what their thoughts are on is it more of is it something different than a um, meditative state? A, well, a uh, guided meditation. You know, because it to me it seems like it would be the same thing, but I don't know. It's an inch. I would like to see what their aspect is on it. I might have to message Sarah Cheryl and ask her what her thoughts are. Now, now, a lot of what you were talking about with the the way you do your meditation, I, I have a practice similar to that, but I call it scrying. Yeah. Where, where it's like I visualize like an inner world, and then I'll go through one of these uh, seven elemental gates, and then in inside, I, I call it, I call it scrying because it's a type of divination. Because I found that the entities that are inside those dimensions will tell me stuff that I don't know. Yeah. And it, it's like it's it, so it's either like deeply into my brain where I didn't know it was there, or it's some kind of a divine essence that's bestowing knowledge to me. Him talking about that. Do you remember when we were younger, Aunt Chad, and we would do the um, not the cat scratch, but like the you rub the temples and you walk. They walk you through. Like yeah. they tell you as they, all right, you are in this room. What do you see? Well, I see a door. Okay, what color is the door? I tell you the color of the door. Like, okay, go through the door. Like, yeah, yeah we, that was. It's exactly what that was. Yeah. That we used to do this as kids all the time, along with light as a feather, stiff as a board, cat, cat scratch. scratch. Okay, and like the Sandman game where you yeah. put the sand in the head. Like all those things that we used to do as a kid, as kids. <laughs> Apparently, it was you know we just knew it, and I don't even know Kid, where we learned that stuff from. We just knew a, it. Kids have a natural connection to magic. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we can all remember being kids, and I need to find a four-leaf clover. Well, who told you that? I don't know. I just know I need one. It's yeah. lucky. Yeah. Oh, there's a dandelion. Let me go make a wish. Well, who told you about that? I don't know. I just yeah. know it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, and we've talked a lot about like you guys are talking about how you meditate and stuff in our, uh, I believe was it our medium episode that we or no, uh, one of our earlier episodes. I can't remember which one it was. Um, we talked about. Uh, creating your own. It was a tulpa. It was a tulpa episode. Yeah, creating your own world and how mm-hmm. doing that for meditation is similar. How they would do it to create tulpas and stuff like that. Yep. Oh, absolutely. That that's a big thing in a, in occultic tra- or magical traditions is 
making yourself like an inner castle or an inner temple no. or an inner grove or and also in that the therapy <laughs> sessions that I went to that was something else they had us do was yeah. to do that it's interesting like you know, I'm telling you, man, psychologists are just highly paid occultists. Yeah. <laughs> no wonder I was so drawn to it. Like I was too. Like apparently I just I was supposed to do this. I don't know. <laughs> but no, they they go through schooling and academia and yeah. get certificates and diplomas. See, that's why I can't take you on a guided meditation because I didn't finish school. <laughs> Could I? I've had three years of psychology. You're probably closer training. than I am. But <laughs> No, for guided meditations, though, there are some just really good ones just online. Like, I did that. I was did, was reading the New York Times um, thing on guided meditation, and did the my ten minute meditation I did today was on their website, and it's an intro. So it's a mixture of a lot of these different meditations. Um, he just kind of walks you through breathing and when to close your eyes and to let your mind wander for a little bit and how to bring it back in. And then to let it wander again and then bring it back in. And once you're kind of in that state of feeling relaxation good. and feeling good and everything, then it's like you can stay here or just open your eyes when you're ready and stretch and continue your breathing until you're finished. And it was really kind of interesting. I actually have a Audible that I downloaded back when we did our um, past life episode. Yeah. It's um, Guided Meditations for Past Life Regression. I started it. I did it one night. Yeah. And then I didn't do it again. I'm, <laughs> I'm to that point in my life now that things just aren't going right. So I tipped to try something after we did our Indian mythology episode. And the second It was part awakening, of it, wasn't it? It really was awakening and realizing that with everything in your life, kind of like how they're talking about how, you know, you chose everything you're going to face in your life before you were born and once you realize why you chose it and what you get out of it when you overcome it and stuff, there's a reasoning behind everything. It's really awakening. And right. so I'm wanting to start to meditate and either before or after work and just kind of move forward and help me overcome a lot of the obstacles in my life. So I'm really starting to do get into the meditation yeah. thing. If you haven't listened to our part two on Indian mythology, listen to it. Like part one is good. Part two was like eye opening at some yeah. points. Like it was, it was one of those things that Dave was sitting there reading it, and I was just like, "Whoa, <laughs> this is awesome!" So I wasn't there for those episodes. So you need to listen to them, yes. So that statement alone is enough to push me into that. Yeah, <laughs> especially if <coughs> I say whatever. And like, knows. there's a part of it. Um, it's something in that episode or whatever talking about Holly Buff. I can't remember. I think it was, uh, I'm trying to remember how it was called. Um, Hinti theist, theistic, or something like that. And just the belief of many different gods kind of thing, like kind of like polytheistic, but it was the way, oh. was, I can't remember exactly the way it was worded, but. Uh, Henotheistic. Henotheistic, theistic, yeah. And I was like, that, like, because it's the belief in different religions. Oh yeah, and the different gods of different religions, and I was like, "That's like the perfect example of what I am." Because, yeah, I always believed in, uh, like I I was Christian for a little while, but I've always been drawn to like the Greek uh, religions and uh, uh, Indian religions and stuff, and it's like, huh, that that's like the finally there's a word that I can put myself in. See, so. I just chose the religion. 
of, of Amy. Amy. <laughs> <laughs> then but I can change it however I want. Nobody yeah. says nothing about it. I learned I learned a lot in that last episode we did with the yeah. Indian mythologies and definitely opened my eyes to I'm starting um, to learn how to open my third eye. Yeah. Hinduism is a very interesting tradition. Mm-hmm. I'd recommend if you haven't listened to uh since we recorded it, listen to the Madame Blavatsky um, ones again. Yeah. yeah. I get deep into uh, the secret doctrine and stuff and talk about all the Eastern belief in that one, and uh, which actually um, is a lot of uh, Hermetic and Neoplatonic belief as well. Yeah. I have to say we have to thank Amy, our um, super awesome listener, for guiding us in the direction of yeah. The Indian mythology. I mean, we had talked about covering it, but it, when she asked us to, it was like, all right, it's on the list. Yeah. And now I think it's definitely awoken Chad and me. And when Eli listens to it, I bet you it awakens him. And, and, and of course, <laughs> I, I mean, Alistair Crowley, he did the same thing where he mixed the Eastern and the Western belief, but, you know, then he ejaculated the lemon all into <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> That's the best way. <laughs> <laughs> I have never heard that explained so well. Like there was never a better explanation of Alistair Crowley than what Dave just said right there. But but he did an eight lectures on yoga and it's received a lot of criticism. Yeah. I I haven't read it and and frankly I don't know a whole lot about yoga to know if it yeah. was. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I'll do yoga. But I the only thing I know about yoga is like the the stretching yeah. body mm-hmm. movement side of yoga. Uh, a lot of I know a little bit of the meditation involved in that part of it. But um as I was ta- I was talking to you guys last week about it how you know with yoga what I remember learning in it was that you you are part of the earth. You're so sharing your balance, you're centering your balance with the earth. You become one. It's not you standing on the earth. It's you are just a branch of the earth and so it stabilizes your body and that's how you visualize standing on one foot for 45 minutes is that you are just one connection to the earth all right so that's our that's my that's kind of my meditation it's kind of my mindset on it um dave what is your practice i'm just going to go over some examples of the meditations i do and as i go i just hope this provides a guide for those who would like to begin the practice or expand into other practices. And if not, I mean, that's fine too. The first thing I do is relax. Then I take one cleansing breath. This breath is deep. A slow, deep breath into my nose and deep down into my lungs. As deep as I can until I can't breathe in anymore. Then I breathe out through my mouth in a series of short puffs. This cleansing breath cleans out the stale air and the stagnant nuifera, or life force, from my lungs and body. Then I begin rhythmic breathing. In through my nose, pause, then out through my mouth, and pause. It's not as deep as a cleansing breath. It's done slowly and smoothly. When I was learning it, I counted to four in my head at each step. Now it just comes natural without the count. If you try it and four is too much, drop it to three or two. Uh, You shouldn't be gasping for air. It should just feel natural. 
Concentrate on the rhythmic breathing. If your mind wanders, just guide it back to concentrating on your breath. Then when I'm ready, I begin the silent breath, which is done slowly and smoothly, breathing in an ordinary rhythm. All the techniques I use start in the same way. Let's talk about color breathing. Color has a certain effect on people. It triggers symbolism to emotions, items, memories, experiences, and so on. As you're listening, just imagine the space around you is filling with the light of your favorite color. An ocean of colored light stretching in all directions, coming right up to the boundary of your skin. After you've imagined it as tensely as you can, dissolve it until no trace of the colored light is left behind. To practice color breathing during the rhythmic breath, imagine the color you choose is flowing into your body with each in-breath and flowing out with each out-breath, filling not just your lungs, but your entire body, radiating from your solar plex to your extremities. In your mind's eye, see your whole body glowing this color on the in-breath. Concentrate on the idea that every trace of the color is flowing out and filling the space you're occupying with the outbreath. The idea behind this practice is when you concentrate on a specific color in the air around you, the life force around your body takes on the energies associated with that color. When you draw this charged new ephra into yourself, the energies affect your body and mind. Experiment with different colors and note the different effects they have on you. If you're new to meditation, I recommend concentration exercises. Make a target for your concentration, like a white spot on a black background, something simple, or go outside and look at the moon. Your task will be to keep your attention on that target. I'm going to tell you right now, if you can only do this for about 30 seconds at first, this is a great accomplishment. Like before, relax. Do a cleansing breath, then begin rhythmic breathing or color breathing with a color that is energizing and awakening for you. Then after a few minutes, start concentrating on your target. Look at it and be aware of yourself looking at it. Let your whole world contract down to your target. What might happen is you'll suddenly become aware your mind has wandered or you're not even looking at the target anymore. It's very important to resist the urge to snap your focus back to the target and the awareness of yourself looking at it. Instead, trace your thoughts back to where they left the target. Follow the mind path. How did it get there? Why? Find what distracted you from the target. Go through the mind path, through it all, until you're back to when your mind wandered away from the target. Repeat this every time you find your mind elsewhere. Five to ten minutes should be enough when you're doing concentration exercises. It's a journey, not a race. The more you practice, some realizations might happen. The time you can spend concentrating on the target will increase. The habit of returning to the target along the path of your mind when it wanders off will go faster and be easier. The most important realization you might make is that you'll find yourself following your mind as it wanders off, 
rather than losing track of the target and not realizing it until later. Once a level of concentration of five minutes or so on the target is reached, meditation can really begin to be rewarding. Discursive meditation is meditating on an idea, a sentence, an image, or something you wish to understand and know. The thinking process is not stopped. Instead, it is redirected and clarified. Thoughts are not abolished, but made into a force for deeper movement of the consciousness. This is accomplished by focusing the mind on a theme and allowing it to follow out the implications of that topic through a chain of ideas. All the while, you're staying focused on the topic without straying. By doing this, the practitioner gradually transforms thinking from half-random mental chatter into a powerful and focused way of understanding. The knowledge that comes out of meditation of this sort can have a good deal of value on its own terms. Like every other form of meditation, this way teaches mastery of attention and awareness. But unlike most other forms of meditation, it enables the practitioner to understand the themes of meditation to a depth that ordinary thinking or contemplation rarely reaches. I just feel that meditation methods that stop the mind from working or treat it as an obstacle to overcome often produces people who are spiritually enlightened but are intellectually inept. Furthermore, many of the myths, symbols, and teachings of any chosen tradition are specifically designed to yield up their meaning only to careful, focused attention, also known as a cult study. The study of the meanings that are hidden underneath the symbols, the myths, the parables, in every tradition. The subject of a meditation is called a theme. You'll need a theme to practice discursive meditation. As a general rule, if your theme takes more than a fairly short sentence to describe, it's too large for a single meditation and should be broken up into smaller bits and meditated on, then recombined later. As before, I start by relaxing. Then I breathe the cleansing breath. During the rhythmic breathing, I incorporate color breathing. Then I do three, four, or sometimes seven silent breaths with my mind completely clear. Then I turn my attention to the theme. I start by thinking over it in a general way, getting an overall sense of it. If it's a sentence, I go over each word chosen, making sure I grasp it. If it's an image, each color and shape, every object, symbol, and subject in the scene. Questions then start to come into my mind. Sometimes issues arise. I keep mental notes of each question and each issue I find. Once I have my general grasp, I begin exploring every question and issue I have taken note of. I journey as far as I can exploring meaning, roots, sources, consequences, implications, comparisons, feelings, and so on. I look at it from different points of view, trying to learn everything I can. I turn it over and over and around. These questions, wanderings, or issues aren't just seeking answers but sometimes they are just seeking towards the unknown and the unobtainable truth, which sometimes leads to even more questions. All these explorations are rewarding. For me, meditation is about being aware of exactly what I'm thinking while I am thinking it. With practice, you can calm down the random mind chatter, but 
If you find your mind has wandered off the theme of your meditation, like with the concentration exercises, resist the urge to snap your focus back to the theme. Instead, trace your thoughts back to where they left the theme. Follow the mind path. How did it get there? Why? Find what distracted you. Go through the mind path, through it all, until you're back to where your mind wandered away. When you're starting out, let's say out of the 10 minutes you devote, seven minutes of it are on stray thoughts and you are f- that you are following back to your theme, or your mind is just blank. This is fine. It's normal. Even if you're only able to spend one minute of connected meditative thinking on your theme, that one minute is the key to the treasure of this type of meditation. You may also feel like you're losing progress where you're up to seven minutes or even the entire time, focus steadfast on your theme. Then a day later, this all drops to like three minutes. This is normal. We're affected by the world and the sense of our environment, our social obligations, uh, stress, disruption to our natural cycles, and the list goes on and on. The next meditative technique I use is receptive meditation. This opens the awareness rather than narrowing it, as in done in discursive meditation. I start with the same breathing techniques, the deep cleansing breath, the rhythmic breath, maybe sometimes with color breathing. Then I just open my awareness completely. I sense the sights, sounds, smells, taste, air movement, the solar or lunar currents, the life force of things around me, and everything else I can with my senses. If my mind wanders... I just guide it back to the totality of the world around me. This type of meditation isn't about reaching conclusion or realization. For me, it's more about being 100% in the moment. No past memories or recalling of experiences. No problems and no future plans. Just focusing exclusively on the present. What I like best about these two methods is that they don't require any special poses excessive noise, years of training, special equipment, someone to supervise me, a place I have to retreat to, or that my eyes even be closed. They both can be performed while I'm going for a walk, tending the garden, painting, taking a swim, or any other task which doesn't require thinking. Pretty much any activity where one finds himself daydreaming while carrying out the task at hand could be utilized for these types of meditations. Very informative. And we use a lot of the same techniques, yeah. which is interesting. I mean, we talk about meditation together from time to time, but we Dave and I have very different paths that we are on when it comes to our spirituality. And we'll talk about it and we communicate it and share our ideas and our thoughts, but we don't, we don't do it a lot together. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah. You know, sometimes we will. Sometimes we'll get together and do a ritual or do an event or something like that. But as a whole, our practices are our practices. Mm-hmm. And um, it's interesting that we actually use a lot of the same techniques. Yeah. It just, I never had names for it because it was just stuff that I figured out on my own. <laughs> well, we, we also have access to the same books. True. We live together. We do. <laughs> oh, wait, yeah. And you guys are married, right? Yes. Well, yeah. Wow. That's crazy. He shares half of my half. (laughs) (laughs) 
You only only a quarter of your brain is yours. That's crazy. No, no. And we split that in half with the kid. <laughs> really, I'm running on like a quarter, like less than a quarter of a brain, like a sixteenth. Well, that's pretty impressive. What, what, is, what is the... Uh, we only use 10%, 10% of our brain. Of our brain. <laughs> You're doing pretty damn good. Or my what she's not telling you is that 10 <laughs> that 16th of a brain she's using is everyone else's. But <laughs> <laughs> I just steal from. Now, and actually, a really good book for meditation that I have that um, I actually bought right after my first panic attack that sent me to the hospital. Um, and that's 100% Happier by Dan Harris. And he is a anchor on Good Morning America. And a news anchor for ABC News. And he actually had a panic attack live on air. And he talks about it. And um, you can go on YouTube and watch the video of it, of his panic attack. I'm sorry. I've gone through panic attacks. I think I'd have a panic attack watching someone go through a panic attack. Watching him go through a panic attack made me kind of feel more normal. Yeah. Like seeing somebody else experience I it. Know, I feel like I'd have a panic attack watching. Um, but you can definitely, you, you know exactly what he's feeling at those moments. Like, especially in the book, cause he talks you through like everything he was feeling. And I'm like, Holy shit, I have been there. I feel you. But in it, he, it uh, talks a lot about like in the beginning of the book, it talks a lot about it's okay when you're starting out meditation. If you can only hold it for 60 seconds, that's fine. You know, he said he meditates up to three hours a day now. Now, he doesn't do it three hours at a time all the time, but, you know, 30 That's minutes yeah, here. 20 minutes 50, here, yeah. five minutes here. And, you know, but in the beginning, 10 minutes was probably his max. And that's the important thing that I think discouraged me when I first started meditating was that it was hard for me to hold it and to meditate for a long period of time. And it it's nice to hear, like you were talking about, it's not a, important to hold that meditation but to trace it back, what caused you to go away? And mm-hmm. it's important to know that it's okay. It's normal for our brains to wander. And that's it. That's what you're doing. You're training. I mean, if I wanted to become a professional athlete today, you'd have to train. I, I wouldn't immediately go out there and be able to run a quarter mile. Absolutely. Now, Eli, do you see what I speed. say? Every time it comes to music with you. Because <laughs> you get frustrated when you can't get something I right away. I've been more in two weeks of repetitive playing than I have in ten years. Yeah. So I understand where that's going. Oh, yeah. yeah. So okay. it's, 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 it's training the brain. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's okay to take the steps, you know. But the important part is that you take the first step. And then you take the second step. But you keep And trying. you keep going and you keep going. And you don't give up. Yeah. And, and and also if you if you lose ground then you just keep going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the very the very first time I ever meditated, it was actually our mother who taught me taught me the um meditation. Um, you know, meditating on the sound. And that was when I was eleven years old and I was in a jet ski accident. I know I don't I've probably I'm talked sure about we've it. talked about it. It's it's such a huge part of my life that I'm sure we've talked about it on the podcast. But I was in an extreme amount of pain. I mean my foot was basically cut off and then reattached so i mean i was in tremendous amounts of pain and i was on pretty weak meds because i was a minor so i they weren't giving me like the good shit and (laughs) so a lot of what i was doing was meditation to just get through a night and um 
it would so that's the first experience I ever had with meditation. And I still go to it to this day. And I do it sometimes without even thinking. Like, because I still have pain in my foot. So there'll be times that my foot will be hurting. And I'll just, all of a sudden, I'll just kind of... And Dave will think I'm pissed off or something. And I'm like, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm breathing the pain out. You know, that's what I'm breathing the pain out. And that's one thing that um, even doctors and um, physical therapists taught me was that when you're hurting, you don't stop breathing because your body is in each breath. Imagine pushing the pain out with the breath. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's when you do Lamaze. You know, the breathing techniques. It's I was to, just about to say that. It's training you to keep breathing and breathe through the pain because each breath pushes the pain out. Absolutely. And that was what my meditation was. It was focusing on pushing the pain out through my breath. And I still do that today when it comes to, like, today I stepped down wrong and, like, pinched a nerve in my back. And it was a lot of just sitting there and just breathing. And I would breathe and visualize the breath going to the pain area. And then when I would breathe out, I would visualize that breath coming back from that pain area with the, and pain, with the pain and pushing it out. And now I'm fine. For me, I like, have my shoulder issues and stuff. And doing my meditation today, one of the parts they talked about, like I said, it was a beginner's guide to self-guided meditation and stuff like that. And um, it was about you know breathing. You feel feel your body. Feel you know if you feel your muscles tense, you know allows yourself to actually picture where it's tense, where it's hurting, and to re- allow yourself to release that pain, and mm. it was amazing because, like, like I said, I had ten minutes, and yeah, my mind wandered like half of it, but I felt really good. Like I wasn't hurting afterwards. Yeah. It's putting oxygen in those areas that hurt, yeah, and then refreshing it and getting rid of the pain, and it works the same with mental pain. You know, the push pushing out the. Negative the, the negative thoughts and stuff with the breath mm-hmm. is something that I focus on You're a lot. Breathing in the positivity and breathing out the negativity. And, and there's so and much in meditation that we do on a daily basis that you, that you would never have thought was meditation. And you could even incorporate <laughs> color breathing into that. Yeah. Yeah, I really want to try the color breathing part. Well, I'm odd and I have weird thoughts from time to time. But, you know, when they our healing episode that we did. I'm a firm believer that you can he- help heal somebody heal from a distance. You know, there's distance Reiki. There's, you know, things like that. So when I have a friend or somebody who's posted on, like, Facebook that they're sick, I will sit and I'll go into a meditative state and I will breathe um, until I'm surrounded by a certain color. Whatever color that is, is the color that I, I guess I feel like I need to send to them. And I'll send it as, like, a healing color. Um, somebody the other day posted that they were having major mental problems. Like they were, you know, the, the quarantine is ha- affecting that a lot of people mm-hmm. that way. And so I just sat, sat there for about 20 minutes, just sending them green energy. For some reason that was the color that popped up and I visualized it swirling in my head and shooting out in the direction of the person. You know, like I kind of had a general idea of where they were from my location, visualize it sending to them saying their name over a few times and whether it helped or not, I don't know, but it helped me feeling that I was doing something that I, for them, 
Whether it was actually helping, I don't know. I didn't contact them later and ask them. But, you know, it was one of those things that sometimes when you want to help somebody but you don't know how to help them, that's, like, the best way for me to do it is to send, like, positive energy. And I go into a meditative state sometimes when I do it because I feel like that's more of a direct message, like a direct scent of it. And I guess it's kind of like the prayer you know, yeah. you're, you're sending praying. that positive energy, yeah. that prayer. That and for me, it helped to visualize it. And so yeah. I visualize it as a color and and I just trust that the color that pops in my head is the color that my subconscious and my soul know that they need. Oh, you absolutely. You're, when it comes to stuff like this, your intuition is always your best yeah. guide. I try to follow my intuition as much as I can. Sometimes when I don't, I go, well, I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, that's something I'm going to have to start doing, too. Um, a lot of our listeners already know that I'm g- currently going through cancer and stuff like that. And, uh, uh, you know, they're putting me on this and that and the other thing, going, taking me through this and that and the other treatment and this and that and the other uh, uh, surgeries and whatnot. So it's, it's, it's like one of those situations where it's like <laughs> if, it's a, if it's a situation that is literally what you determine what you do during a certain time, and you can find that peaceful headspace, and it gives you some sort of serenity, serenity without putting a pill in your body. Um, that's that's the route I would take. To be honest with you, on a scientific level, um, they have there's been a lot of studies done that it's either beneficial or it's just it's just mute. It's just nothing. But I've never seen a scientific result that shows that meditation is harmful in any way. Oh. Well, you know, when we did our, um, we go, I'm going back to our healing, our alternative healings a lot in this episode. But um, when I was talking about Reiki and healing touch, both of those practices have been put into cancer hospitals. Reiki freaking works. Yeah, I'm Reiki is amazing. Like, uh, first time I ever had Reiki, um, Uncle Jim did it. And it was before I had the first surgery. And the it's a weird situation because it's like feeling another person's energy without actually even touching you. Yeah. Not and I mean whenever I say not touching you, he's he wasn't even close enough to my body for me to for me to even perceptually feel that. Mm-hmm. And one of the last things that he did was he he touched the bottom of my feet and I felt all this energy flow from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, and I felt it flow to his hands. It, it was one of the most powerful things I've ever felt in my entire life. Yeah. And I am telling you from first personal experience, I, I, was, I was actually really nervous, though, because, like, you know, him and I hadn't had a lot of interactions. We had conversations and stuff like that. But when he offered to do Reiki, I was like, you know, honestly... I have nothing to lose here. Yeah. It's a new situation. It's a new, new experience. And when he did it and I was, and it was done, I felt like 50,000 pounds came off my body. Yeah. So well, there was one time, um, he had come into the office and I had mentioned something about my throat being sore and having some allergy issues. And he was in the office sitting behind me and I was working at my desk and all of a sudden I just felt like I got hit with a like load of energy and I turned and I looked and yeah, he's sitting over there behind me you know, doing his Reiki on me. I had no clue he was even doing it, but I felt it. And then I just kind of sat there and just kind of enjoyed it because it was like an amazing feeling. Like, okay, just keep going. It's kind of like a massage without being touched. 
and that's really kind of cool. Now, <laughs> is is that what Mr. Miyagi was doing to Daniel's son in uh, yes. Karate Kid? Yeah. Or was he doing Qigong? He, Qigong, he would have been hitting him. Oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah. it was probably Reiki. Yeah. But there's definitely something to the healing energy. And you've got to learn how to meditate to to do a lot of that. The healing energy and like the healing touch and all of that. And I think what happens a lot, especially in the West, is we become so disassociated between our mind and our body. We forget that they work together. And I think meditation is a great way to Uh, reconnect it. Absolutely. And, I mean, we're all guilty of this because life happens. You get busy, you know, especially during the quarantine. I think we've had more snack foods in this house than any other time in our lives. And we just mindlessly eat. I definitely gained the weight. Yeah. Let me just put it this way, ladies and gentlemen. I lost 35 pounds after the last surgery I had. Guess where I'm at now? Back at the weight. It's only been two months. (laughs) Or a month and a half. But we just become so disassociated between our mind and our body. And it's helpful sometimes to reconnect the two because it's all connected. I mean, our mind is telling us to breathe. Our mind is telling us to create new cells. And that was one of the things in my psychology classes, the very first psychology class I heard and I was, they were talking about the brain and all the stuff that the brain actually does. The brain is what tells your cells to repopulate. So when you get a cut, your brain is sending signals to regrow those cells. And when learning that, I was like, well, then in theory, (laughs) if you're able to harness the power of the brain like that, you could continually heal yourself until the brain dies. Mm -hmm. I mean, you should be able to fight off any infection, cancer, stuff like that. If you learn how to use your brain the way it's meant to be used, I'm sure. I'm super weak. Well, I, 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 I think that it's a concept that takes... Years yeah. of training. Yeah. Decades. <laughs> At that point, decades. It's not like I I'm going to go to bed tonight and then, bam, I'm 50 pounds lighter and I, all my gray hair is gone and my wrinkles I mean, are completely like gone. You look at, you, I mean, you look at some of these like Buddhist monks and stuff that, you know, do meditation, you know, 10 hours out of the day and stuff like that. And they live to be 107 and they still look like they're 80. Like, yeah. There's something to the power of the brain. And I think. Meditation is a great way to start the connection. Yeah. And get it flowing. Um, let me tell you a little bit about. Let me tell you about my best friend. Li Ching Young. He was a Chinese herbalist, martial artist, and uh, tactical advisor, right? He claimed to have been born in 1736. And then other records suggest he was born in 1677. He died May 6, 1933. Wow. He either lived to the age of 197 or 256 years old, depending on which document's correct. And we haven't had that since biblical times, people. Yeah. Maybe there was something to it with the biblical times. But yeah. Damn. There's definitely something. There's a connection that we've lost. And he, em- he employed techniques like that. Yeah. Along with herbalism, Chinese herbalism. Well, there's something to herbalism. There's something to there's something to all of it, mm-hmm. and so much of it is pushed to the side because science doesn't want to recognize it. But one thing that I find awesome now is you read these articles where doctors are actually starting to yeah. see 
the benefits of meditation. They're starting to see the benefits of herbalism. And they're starting. Science didn't want to believe. Didn't want to have to deal in beliefs. Yeah, they wanted yeah. sign like actual evidence from tests and stuff like that. And we talked about that yeah. in the, the last episode. How science makes things more difficult because it has to be recreated yeah. in a lab. And it's like sometimes a lab setting is not yeah. the perfect and place I for think it to recreate. Nowadays in today's <laughs> world, that it, they are start. They're. I'm, I'm not saying it could be because people are getting younger and they're starting to get like the doctors are getting younger and more open-minded to the differences that are out there. And, oh, you know, maybe this meditation and Reiki will actually work. I'm going to, you know, we're going to start trying it. it it's not going to hurt. I mean, like this patient is, you know, terminally ill. If anything, it releases some pain it's while they're great. here. And if it helps out beyond that, great. And I think they're willing to try that stuff now instead of just like, nope, give them more morphine. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Eli no likey morphine. <laughs> There's a point where science broke from faith. Like, I feel like science and faith were originally together. And then science broke away from faith. And yeah. I in the around in the late 1800s. And I think it's all no. starting to kind of come back around. But also, I will tell you, in the past 10 years, there has been a universal movement towards more occult studies in yeah. individuals. And I've noticed that a lot in like our family circle more than anything. Like I've noticed it in friends and stuff, but it's been like blatantly obvious in our family circle. You know, 10 years ago, I was the only person in our family that studied any occult. Right? And I didn't talk to any of our family about it. Nobody knew any of it. It was like a private thing that I had. Like I was in the broom closet, as I like to talk about. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I think it's just become socially acceptable now. So people are more willing to go out and try it and look into it. Well, I think there's and been some kind of an enlightenment that's happened on like a universal level. And I think it, I think things got too stale. And I think people started realizing. Well, for some this to change, we have to try something else. And I think people started trying some more of the occult followings and practices. And it did kind of give an enlightenment. And then it's like, oh, well, this works. So I'm going to tell Joe, Bob, and Jimmy. And then they tell Fred and Johnny. And like it just spreads out that way. And Everything moves in cycles. And when we were talking about the spiritualist, the spiritualist movement... Uh, with Madame Blavatsky, she was right in the middle of that. And yeah. we were talking about the decadent movement with Aleister yeah. Crowley. And then eventually America got in, went through a Great Depression. And then the evangelical movement started. And it yeah. pulled all that occultic stuff back. So really, we're just going back through into another, that cycle, cycle, of, occultic cycle of spiritualism. We can be the next... The forefront. Madame Blavatsky's, and I don't want to be Astro Crowley, so never mind. <laughs> if I could be half as amazing as uh, HPB. Human book HPB. HPB, not HPV. <laughs> I was looking for because a spoon to make it look like it flew through your, your, <laughs> your hand. Because there's not just an acceptance of like open mindedness to the occult, there's also an acceptance of open mindedness into people's sexuality right now. Yeah. And even people's gender. Yeah. I mean, you think 40 years ago, if somebody said, I think I'm a woman trapped in a man's body, 
they'd be on the Geraldo show getting laughed at. <laughs> yeah, we look back on a on a film like the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and we're like, oh, Tim Curry did an amazing job. But at the time it was released, oh, shock it, and all, yeah. it, it was like a midnight showing film to select few people. <laughs> now it's woke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now there's plays on like Broadway and stuff yeah. for it, or off Broadway. Yeah, that's, I guess you're right. It's more of just a cycle that we're going through. Mm-hmm. I enjoy it because it's a cycle I feel like I fit into it. Yeah. Um, I just feel like it's a cycle of an open-mindedness. Yeah. Well, I, I'll, growing up, I've always had that pull towards the occult. And I always felt like it was wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. And now I feel like I fit in. Like there's like a group of people that I fit into now that I never felt like I yeah. fit in with before. And I mean, nice. I still kind of like through a day, like a daily, just walking through a store or something like that, feel kind of out of place when I'm wearing my, you know, occultist stuff or whatever. But it's just like I know there's a few people out there who would seem like you keep doing you, man. Like good for you, but it is still kind of awkward. But yeah, you do at least feel a little more. Definitely, I think it's I think it's the age of technology and yeah, social media and yeah, the internet that allows you to feel connected and feel a part of yeah th- that group whereas normally you didn't before this because only the people around you you know would judge you and yeah you didn't f- uh, have that connection we've gotten off the topic of meditation yeah. and this is actually something that would be great to talk about next week in our hundredth episode, episode. Oh, what what yeah. one double oh um we have a special guest next week Ooh. um we got cookies we have cookies in a world wrapped by shortness, one man who used to sit in my exact spot will be here ready to talk about his feelings. Hopefully. Cross our fingers. <laughs> now he has to be here because now we've mentioned it. Yep. Um, we've got some cool stuff, fun stuff. Got fun stuff. We have got some really sweet messages from mm. some other people we've past, worked with in the past. and stuff. Yeah. Um, oh, um, before we get to that, I just want to say if any of our listeners uh, perform or practice meditation, yeah, um, feel free to reach out to us. Tell us how you do it. We'd love to hear about it. Yeah, definitely. Maybe uh, you can inspire us to pick up a, a new kind of practice and do it. Definitely. I'm always open to learning new things. Um, and also, our listeners, if you've got a message that you want to send us for our 100th episode, if there's an episode that you have that, y- or that we've done that you love, let us know if you want to record a message and send it to us. Uh, you can send it to umpnormalcy at gmail.com. Or if you just want to post it on our Facebook mm-hmm. group or yeah. Instagram or something like that, and we'll share it on air. Yeah, we'll share it on our 100th episode. If you just want to write it out, you don't want to record it, type up an email. We'd be happy to read it on air. Um, we've got a few different things lined up for our next episode. It's going to be, um, I hope it's going to be a really fun one. Uh, we we won't do any kind of funny accent for you, unless you want <laughs> us to. If we read it, <laughs> if you want Chad to use a Swedish accent, yeah, I could read it like this if you like, yeah. <laughs> or if you want Dave to use his Bigfoot voice, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or we can have Alba read it for you, yeah. Uh, George, uh, where's the picnic? <laughs> hey, what's up, Jim? I'm here too. <laughs> <laughs> <God damn. laughs>
Um, I don't do much voices, but I can read it in a redneck accent. You uh, want that? I can do that one. We can all do that. We all tend to go Used that way. Used condoms. Come on, Dave, hit it. Used condoms. There we go. What was the uh, the big word that you used? Uh, left in... Ubiquitous <laughs> distribution. <laughs> distribution. <laughs> Yeah, that's our Bigfoot episode. If you want to go back and listen to that one, we've got two parts. the boys from Grogs. Yes, we got Grognostics on that one. Um, but be sure to like us, follow us, tweet us, whatever you do on social media at UMP Normalcy on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, if you like true crime, join our true crime podcast on our Patreon at patreon.com slash UMP Normalcy. Um, Patreon donations, while we're still doing this Oklahoma City bombing, all the Patreon donations, that we, all the money we receive from Patreon donations will be donated to the um, Oklahoma City Bombing Memorial Museum. And until next time. Keep digging.